Would you turn to John chapter 10? John chapter 10. Uh, We're going to be there in just a moment. I'm going to speak about the first 10 verses, and then next week, Lord willing, Pastor Kathy will speak on the following 10 verses. So we're coming right on the heels of where we were last week, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then we're right in between next week when he'll say, I am the good shepherd. Tonight, we're going to look at Jesus saying, I am the door or I am the gate. So while you're turning there and before we get there, let me see a show of hands. How many of you have seen the old documentary called March of the Penguins? You with me? This is like a big deal when it came out. Grandpa, I remember you and Mary Lou going and raving about it. March of the Penguins, uh, narrated by Morgan Freeman. That's my Morgan Freeman impression. What was so, that was terrible. What was so fascinating about this movie, or if you've seen in Planet Earth, just a super colony of penguins, thousands of them in this frigid Arctic landscape. What happens around mating time is once the babies are born, then it's dad's turn to man up and he saddles up onto that egg to protect it and keep it warm. Then what happens is the female penguins take the long, arduous journey to go fishing. So they put their little gone fishing sign up and leave for four months. So during this time is the most extreme and harsh winter on the planet. And these thousands of male penguins and these thousands of vulnerable little baby penguins are left to fend for themselves. Four months go by, Mama Penguin returns and finds Daddy Penguin has lost half of his body weight trying to care for this little thing. And then you see these thousands of daddies and these thousands of little hatchlings and the moms return and this incredible symphony of penguin calls erupts. Because they've moved and they've shifted and it's been months. So the males begin to squawk and cry out so that the female penguin can locate them. And meanwhile, the thousands of females who have come back with bellies full of fish are squawking and crying out. So it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of voices ringing through the Arctic air. It's incredible. And we're sitting there watching March of the Penguins or Planet Earth and we're saying... This just sounds like a bunch of bird chaos to me. But what happens invariably is, you know it if you've seen it, they find their family. And why? Because no matter how long it's been, no matter how difficult the journey, they know the voice, right, of their family. They know the voice of the ones they love. They are reunited because they know the voice of the one calling out. After centuries of waiting, not penguins in Antarctica, but God's people in the ancient Near East, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Without a word from the prophets, without a hint that their king would return. And finally, at the beginning of John's gospel, he says, the word became flesh. And moved into the neighborhood. He says he came to his own people, but his own people didn't receive him. They looked at him and said, nah, you must not be who God sent. 
And he says, but in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And to all who did receive him, who welcomed him, who heard his voice, the word that God spoke in flesh, in body, to all who did receive him, they found life in his name. We've been looking at these I am statements that John records in his gospel during the season of Lent because John wants us to find life in his name. Amidst the sea of voices saying, come to me, follow me, I'll bring happiness. If you buy this or do this or try that, if we would listen and see Jesus for who he is, we will find life and find it to the full. But there is a problem, and the reason why the jury was out on Jesus and why some heard his voice and some rejected his voice was because what we've been seeing in the last few weeks is that Jesus took all of his people Israel's history and symbols and hopes, and he reinterpreted them. He says, you think you know bread? I'm the bread. You think you know light? I'm the light. And then he reoriented all of them around himself. So what happens is the leaders who'd been filling in the void with all of their squawking, you with me? The leaders who'd been speaking on God's behalf and leading God's people, they reject Jesus and they reject his words and they reject his actions. But Jesus comes and says, no, The real sheep know my voice, and I will call them, I will lead them, I will protect them, and I will give them life to the fullest. How many of us want life to the fullest? We need to hear the voice of Jesus. Let's look at what he says in John chapter 10. He says, very truly I tell you Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate or the door, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate, he's the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech or parable. But the Pharisees stared at him with blank faces, scratching their heads, saying, What is this dude talking about? Oh, actually it says, did not understand what he was telling them. So then Jesus said again, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. So tonight, first we're going to address the what question. What is Jesus talking about? 
Because in verse 6, he's talking to these learned religious leaders, and they have no idea what he's talking about. So the first thing we've got to say is the what. What is all this business with shepherding? What is all this business with this figure of speech or parable that Jesus is talking about? Then we're going to say, okay, when is Jesus saying this? Because as I've been reminding you the last few weeks, the when something is written in your Bible is crucial. The when is so important to locate where we are in the verses of Scripture. And then along the way, the really big question I hope we will discover, okay, well, why does this door or gate that Jesus is talking about matter for us today, okay? But first, before we look forward into today, let's look backward into the what, okay? Because as I said earlier, we still live in a world filled with competing voices, like those penguins clamoring for our attention. But Jesus says, you are mine, and mine is the voice you listen to, because in me is life and life abundantly or to the full. So if you sat down now in a 3D movie, okay? How many of you have seen a 3D movie lately, like Black Panther or something that's come out lately, okay? If you sat down without those nifty glasses, what does the screen look like? It's blurry. But here's the thing. For two hours, you could get a pretty good sense of what's going on, right? This guy's punching him, and she's running away from this, and she's running toward that. and You can get a sense of what's going on, right? But what if, of course, you put on those 3D glasses, all of a sudden, everything comes alive, and you start, like, you turn into a seven-year-old going, whoa, man, this is crazy. It comes alive, and it's in focus, yes? I want you to imagine the old-school 3D glasses with the red lens and the blue lens, and I want to approach this question of the what is going on, what is Jesus talking about, with the red lens being this cultural lens, and then the blue lens being the biblical or metaphorical lens. Because we're stepping back in time, 2,000 years, into a people that knew about shepherding and sheep just like we know about driving cars and iPhones. It was part of their everyday existence, right? We are stepping back and we need a lens that says, okay, what is culturally happening? And then B, we need to see this other lens that says, what is the metaphor that is also steeped in their religious heritage and culture? How many of you have heard of Psalm 23? Joe, would you stand up and, and show... Joe has it tattooed on his back like I saw a ranger, a Texas ranger did in the paper this week. Psalm 23 is a famous psalm today. It was a super famous psalm then because it even spoke metaphorically about a shepherd and his sheep, right? So there's a cultural lens we've got to address and there's this metaphorical symbolic lens we've got to address too. So this first lens, when they hear about a sheep pen and a gate, they're probably thinking, Jesus' audience, of this. Something like this. And it's this stone enclosure gate. And what you see there is it's not super tall. It's just tall enough to kind of shield a sheep or a goat. And what they would put on top of it instead of barbed wire is thorn bushes. Why? Because animals in the dead of night would try to climb over the gate, or excuse me, over the wall to get at the sheep. 
So they would have this stone enclosure or they would kind of fashion one against a house or against some cliff, some rock face. Or they would use something like this, which is our next picture. They would use a straight up cave. In the rocky terrain near Jerusalem where Jesus was talking to these people, they would find something cool like this. They would put their sheep in at night because then they would call them out and take them out in the morning so they can go and eat the grass. Then they loved these kinds of caves because when it got super duper hot like it does in Texas, like it does in the arid climate of Jerusalem, they'd take them back in at lunch. They'd have a quick little siesta. And then at dusk, they would call the sheep out with a specific call or a specific sound. Some of shepherds would even use flutes. Isn't that super cool? They would use flutes and the sheep would go, oh, that's shepherd tune. Time to go get some grub. Let's do this thing. And they would come out at dusk. And so there was this coming in and going out. So as Jesus is saying these words, while they don't understand perhaps the symbolic meaning, they say, yeah, dude, we know about sheep. And then they're also thinking of this other layer in places like Psalm 121. Would you write down Psalm 121? It's a short psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. It is a wonderful psalm to pray and read, as Pastor Kathy was talking about, in the morning or at night. Because it speaks of God watching you in your watch, in your coming out and your going in, just like sheep. And he's going to care for you and protect you because that's what shepherds did Do you know how much shepherds cared for their sheep? I'll show you and tell you. There is no door fashioned in front of that cave. There is no door fashioned in front of that stone wall. Because you know what the door was? Look at this next picture. The door was a shepherd. The door was a person. The door was a shepherd that would literally lay down his life to protect his sheep from thieves and robbers and wolves and lions. The best shepherds weren't afraid to get down in the mud to love and care for the sheep. Next week, Lord willing, we'll see Jesus telling us that he's the good shepherd that will lay down his life for the sheep. Because as John says in the beginning of his prologue, the word became flesh and blood and didn't hold us at arm's length. He made his home among us. The good news of our faith is not here's what you got to do to get to God It's here's what God did to get to you. Well, I'm not lovable enough. I'm a dirty, mangy sheep. No, no, no. He will put himself in between you and harm's way. He will walk with you in the presence of the storms and the enemies and the elements. He is with you. And he knows struggle, he knows suffering, because he wasn't afraid to dip down into the lowest reaches of our humanity. Because that's the raw material he took to bring us out and elevate us and give us life to the full. So when Jesus tells these people, I am the door, he means that he is the one that God said, you 
are the door. You are the true shepherd. All of these other pretenders have been looking out for number one. He's the one that's going to lay his life down. He's the one appointed by God to call, to lead, to protect, and to give life to the flock. All the wonderful things shepherds were supposed to do, Jesus is the one to do it. And here's why it was good news back then. Because our second lens in our 3D movie glasses is there was this long tradition after Psalm 121 and after Psalm 23 where that was God the ideal shepherd. Look at me. But he had all these under shepherds who were the priests and the religious leaders who were also seen as shepherds. All the kings who were blowing it were also known as shepherds. And they began to look around, scratch their heads, and after reading Psalm 23, they look out at the kings and the leaders and they say, these dudes would never lay down in the mud and protect and call and lead us. In fact, what they've been doing is leading us further and further into destruction. So we see passages like Ezekiel 34, also in Jeremiah and also in Zechariah, but nowhere more clear and in your face, as Ezekiel 34. So here's the weight of the metaphor and the symbolic lens when we read this in Ezekiel 34. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the who? The shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. Man, what sorrow awaits you shepherds who what? Feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? It keeps going. You drink the milk, you wear the wool, you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. Pause there. I'm going to jump ahead in my outline. You know what Jesus says about the thieves and robbers who climb in and try to take ownership of the sheep? You know what he says? They are there to steal and kill and destroy. You know what we just read in verse 3? You take their stuff, the milk and the wool, and you butcher the best animals. The word Jesus says for steal, kill, and destroy is slaughter. He is speaking to leaders who use and abuse their sheep. He says, you have not taken care of the who? The weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. Hold on to that. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Pause. Y'all remember when Jesus says, I'm going to leave the 99 to go find the one? This is what a shepherd looks like. You remember who Jesus is talking to? Who is probably running this scripture through their heads? He's talking to the failed shepherds. And he's also talking to all the people who've seen their failures. He's talking to us who've seen the failures of spiritual leaders and political leaders and familial leaders that blow it. Because they don't know or don't have the capacity or don't have the example or they don't have the love to look out for the flock instead of number one themselves. He says, you've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. And he keeps going, and this is Ezekiel 34. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. 
So you know when Jesus says, the sheep know my voice, I'm the door, I lead them out. What does it mean to lead them out? Is that somebody that's in front of the sheep or behind the sheep? It's in front. To lead them out is to be the leader that goes in front of them, showing them and navigating through a dangerous terrain. Here's a leadership principle. The leader that goes behind and is putting them in harm's way to drive them and whip them and beat them just like sheep down the valley is not the kind of leader that Jesus was content to be. He's the door that lays down in the mud and he's the one who's gone through suffering and gone through death in order that he could bring us and all of his sheep into new life because he went there first. When he died the death that we didn't have to and he rose again as the pioneer and the leader for all those we'll celebrate in a month at Easter to say, come on in, I've kicked open the door. Full life, eternal life is yours, not just then, but now, if you would hear my voice. All of this is going on with these lenses and Jesus is blowing them up because he said, my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd in Ezekiel 34. They are easy prey for any wild animal. They've wandered through all the mountains and all the hills. Why? Because they didn't have someone in front. Across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. You know what? Ezekiel 34 continues. He says, so I got to send my own shepherd from the house of David. And in Advent, we looked at a shepherd who came from the house of David, who was born to a people without a shepherd. And Jesus comes and he's saying this parable and the Pharisees are scratching their heads. They have no idea what's going on, but everybody else says, it's just like you, he's talking about, who have used us, who have abused us, and who have misled us. So here's why the when question is so important too. Stick with me. Then the when question is so important. Jesus says this to the Pharisees immediately after in our Bibles, chapter 9. When they first wrote this thing, they didn't put the nice red letters. They didn't put the nice numbers. It ran right up into this door talk right after they were arguing about Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. Then Jesus goes and finds a lost, blind person. Hello? Heals and binds up and gives new life. And you know what the so-called religious shepherds wanted to do? They quizzed him. They brought in his parents. They put the fear into him and kicked him out of the temple. And then what happens is he hears the voice of a shepherd and door named Jesus who sees for the first time and sees for the first time what a shepherd really looks like. And Jesus goes and brings him back into his fold. Jesus is confronting the leaders who function like these strangers who jumped over the fence in the void of all the other kings and shepherds and says, come follow us, follow us, follow us. But what they're doing is laying waste and misleading the flock 
that God wants to bring, the flock that needs healing, protecting, and leading. So when Jesus says, I'm the door, he's the one that says, I've been appointed by God, where it says the gatekeeper lets me in the right way so that I can know and love and call and protect the sheep. You with me? Let me put this into some real life. Because we still have shepherds and pastors that fail us. We still have leaders in our homes and communities that fail us. So there's this issue that's circling around this parable and this explanation that Jesus is giving. And and they begin to think, okay, well, who is a legit shepherd? And who is a legit sheep? We're going to talk about this in a moment, but I want to illustrate that with two kinds of churches, a tale of two churches. And I really hate that this first one is a true story, but it's a true story. And because it's a true story, I'm not going to tell you which church. And frankly, this is from a a group of people, kind of secondhand. I didn't experience this. But this is from a group of people, not just one person, that were walking into a church one Sunday morning in Dallas, Texas. They were walking into the church And immediately behind them was a homeless person, a person that had slept outside, that was evidently known to kind of the community or the neighborhood vaguely enough because he tried to come in and for not the first time, the ushers at the door turned him out. And this group of people who had been welcomed gladly because they looked a certain way, turned around, see what's going on, as this person who was homeless was asking as politely and quietly as he could to come back in. And what this group of people did was they turned around themselves and they walked their own selves out of the building. Because in that moment, they realized whatever is happening here doesn't seem like the kind of doorway that Jesus himself was speaking of. That's a tale of one church. The tale of the second church is unwritten. And it's the neighborhood church. Will we continually be a church that didn't just read a book about it last summer, but will we be a church that doesn't just welcome at the door, but invite and assimilate into our actual lives the kinds of people that look different, that have a different background, that have a different way of viewing the world, that have a different age from us, that have a different taste from us, that have a different skin color from us, that has a different language perception as us? Will we be a church that lets Jesus be the door in order that we don't block people from hearing him call them by name. Because they can't hear if we don't even let them in the building. And so I love that our church has been talking so much about how we're hospitable, but I love so much more to continue to live in that because it doesn't happen just because we said it. It happens when we live it. And it happens when we take seriously our name to be a church for the neighborhood that looks radically different than sometimes what we see sitting inside. And this takes time, but it takes intention. And it also takes a lot of sacrifice, like Jesus in the door, and an ability to kind of lower oneself in order to surrender some of my tastes and my preferences and to surrender my time 
Because the real transformation doesn't just happen in this space in the pews, but around the dinner tables. And I think we'll be on our way and we're getting it when those people who look very different from us and come from a different background aren't just singing next to us, but they're eating next to us. Because Jesus didn't just plant a super cool worship service. He was around the table with sinners and drunks and thieves. But you know who he called the robbers and thieves? The people that kicked him out. And there's this dangerous prayer we started praying when we became the neighborhood church over a year and a half ago. Lord, give us all the people that no one wants. And if he answers that prayer... Do we have room in our hearts and our hands to embrace them and accept them and assimilate them because they're his flock, not our little kingdom? And I know we're not the slickest production, but I want to be the most welcoming and hospitable and loving and sacrificial church in Garland, Texas. And I say all the time these disclaimers of like, oh, we're a little church or we're a new church. We are Jesus' church that has been blessed and knit together and uniquely suited to be a church in this neighborhood. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. I don't think we miss the boat. I think God wants us here. I think he wants us with Freeman Heights and with The Rock because he's tailored us to fit into this way of being with him a door to allow all these people to come in and out. He has so many people he wants to call. Let's just not get in his way. Let's not ever, ever be a church that someone can go and tell a story like I did first. If that happens, I'm going to say this on record, I'm out. I'm resigning. If I hear that because this person is this way or this person looked that way, if someone is a threat to you, I get it. I'll be the first to call the police. But if someone is different from you and you're going to bring all that stuff out there and look more like a thief and robber than a savior who's come for these kinds of people, I'm done. And I think you would be too, which is why I'm still here. Who is a legit shepherd? The kind who welcomes the sheep that God gives to him. Well, who are the thieves and robbers? Jesus said, all those who've come before me. Do you know that Jesus wasn't the first one to say that he was God's Messiah? And I know for some of us, that really messes us up. Well, wait. Do you know that he wasn't the first one to call himself or or be called the son of God? Do you know that Caesar was a son of God? Do you know that Caesar was a prince of peace? Do you know that Jewish people came and said, I'm David's shepherd. I'm the rod of Jesse. You know that Jesus wasn't the first? You know he wasn't the last? Do you know that there were some failed revolutionaries and the reason why next week Jesus is going to speak the good shepherd bit during Hanukkah because Hanukkah was about some dude called Judah the Hammer, Judas Maccabeus. Y'all heard of Maccabees? He came and he led a revolution against Rome and he rededicated the temple and they said, boom, that's our king. Failed. And Jesus is gonna go say, I'm the better shepherd, I'm the good shepherd in the same festival that remembers that one failed shepherd. You with me? 
Do you know that there were fake kings like corrupt Herod who kind of weaseled his way into being the, quote, king of the Jews because he was homies with Rome? But when Jesus was crucified and Pontius Pilate put king of the Jews, it looked a lot different than that king in the lavish palace, didn't it? Do you know that these phony Pharisees were functioning like the same kind of elite doormen that we see too often today and Jesus saw too much of then. They are strangers to God's people and they're strangers to God's ways. So who's a legit shepherd? I think it's the one who knows these people intimately who calls and protects and leads them out front, who lays down his life for his own. And Jesus will say in verse 9, look back with it if you still got John 10 open. He says in John 10, 9, after he says that whole bit about everybody who came before, no, 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 they're pretenders. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Whoever enters into life with God through the door, not through some revolution that's violent, not through some political means where they can legislate God's kingdom. No, it takes a deeper work to transform the world and renew it. Not just shuffle in the deck with a bunch of people we can elect or not. It takes a deeper work. He says, everybody who comes in through me, that's where you find life and safety and wholeness and provision in a dangerous landscape. So why you mess up is when you start to follow the other ones who've climbed in and said, follow me, follow me, vote for me. You will never find the kind of wholeness and abundant life that Jesus says. And so that's why verse 10 is the difference. The thief and this isn't just Satan, okay? I grew up hearing that, you know, Satan is a liar and does Satan steal, kill, and destroy? Does the evil forces and systems of this world steal, kill, and destroy? Everyone shake your head, say yes. But he ain't just talking about the nebulous dark guy he, with the horns that's in the shadows and out to get you. He is talking about the people leading out front saying, come to me and get everything I've got. I'm the one, I'm the strongest, I'm the this, I'm the that. He says, no, 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 no. They've come to use you. But I've come that they, it's other-centered, may have life and have it to the full. No pastor, no politician, no person can look out for your interests as much as Jesus, this door, this shepherd, did. No person will give you the kind of life you're expecting them to give you like Jesus. The people that come in, they're saved, they're safe. But John's word is life. If you read the Gospel of John, what Jesus is offering is a life in God's kingdom that begins right now and will not end. Yesterday, Emma asked, no, it's today, Emma asked me, because we were reading a little piece when John, uh, excuse me, when Jesus was healing someone who was about to die. And she said, when do we die? She just turned six today. That's a pretty big question 
for a father to answer on a birthday for a six-year-old. And I said, you know, someday we'll die, but that just means we get to keep living with Jesus in a new and better way. And as beautiful and breezy and sunny as it was today, it will be sunnier and breezier and more beautiful then. The life then is never-ending, and it's starting now in him. And so you still have to follow him through the dangerous and dark place. The true shepherd, the legit shepherd, calls the true sheep, and the true sheep, remember, who's the legit sheep, are the ones who hear his voice. Because here's the trick. Jesus said, all these other guys that came before me, they didn't really follow him. Because why? It didn't really sound like God. It didn't really sound right. It sounded tinny on our ears. These pretenders, it didn't really sound like him. And so those who are believing Jesus, they say there is something compelling and powerful and beautiful. And so real sheep, who's a legit sheep? Jesus says in this passage, They know the shepherd, look, they listen to his voice, and then they follow him. This is the rhythm of a sheep. With the flute, with the calling, they still today in Palestine, these these Jerusalem areas, do you know that they can go, they can make some call? I was almost about to do a call. I was going to make up a sheep call right here, right now. Man, y'all wouldn't have even known what was about to happen. Neither did I. Let's imagine they have some unique call. And there could be 50 sheep. And the 10 that are his will turn and come to him. And John Doe, next to the guy, can try to imitate that same call. And those same 10 would look at him and be distrusting of that sheep. Because the real sheep that belong to the shepherd know the voice, they listen to him, and then they follow him because they know that that's where their life is. So what does it look like for human sheep to know? They see through the strangers, and they see through the Facebook posts, and they see through all these people who are saying, no, 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 I've got it, I've got it. And they say, wait a minute, I hear this person saying these religious and spiritual and Christian-esque things. But that doesn't really sound like the voice of a father who calls me beloved. And they listen to discern in those moments the voice of truth. I hear this person giving this counsel, but that doesn't really sound like the grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It sounds good to not forgive and to burn that bridge. It sounds right to withhold and attack. It sounds right to leave and burn it down. But I'm not sure that's really the grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, if you're going to act on this, I see in my world the way of violence and the blessing of AR-15s And that doesn't look like Jesus, my shepherd. I see the blessing of greed. And if you pray more and get more, this is the way. But that doesn't look like Jesus' life. 
I see this wanton and reckless promiscuity and perversion because it's love and it's good. But that doesn't look like the boundaries that lead to the fullness of life that Jesus promised. The rhythm for us is knowing and listening and following. And don't miss again the when. It was right after the blind man got kicked out. And all of a sudden, he recognizes the shepherd in Jesus. And he followed him and he knew him and he listened to him. And the same is true for us. Yesterday, I had lunch with a person that's connected to our community. I didn't ask this person if I could share this, so I'm going to keep it anonymous, even though I think it's a wonderful illustration of this rhythm of knowing and listening and following. This person this week had a big decision, and he was at a crossroads, and he was stuck. Like this week in real time, okay? How many of you are facing decisions right now this week in real time that you need some movement and traction on? And he was facing this, he was struggling with this, and he says, you know, someone has counseled me and discipled me to tell me, like, there's really three things i got to be listening for. And he said those three things are, um, it's God's word. So what's the precedent here? And then it's God's counsel, like godly counsel from you all kind of people going to have coffee and listening to this person and that person and this pastor and this leader and this friend. So like aggregating and crowdsourcing and seeing, you know, this godly counsel. And then the third thing he said was straight up prayer, taking it directly to the source. God, I'm laying this out before you and I need some help. And he says, sometimes you get, boom, some sort of like clear path, red light. Here's the sign, green light, go now, do it, done. Sometimes you do. I believe that there's this active relationship with a God who is still calling and speaking. He says, but most times, he says, I don't know if this is right. Do you think this is right? You get like just enough peace to take a next step. Do you think that's right? I said, dude, this is like blowing my mind. I sat there, y'all know I have that little book that I'm always writing stuff in. And I'm like writing this stuff. He said, what are you doing? I said, dude, I'm going to use this thing, man. I'm writing this down. I said, because that's what forms us, doesn't it? When you get just enough peace and just enough light, that's what it looks like to follow the shepherd through the rocky terrain of life. If someone just downloaded it to you, if someone just said, you know, if I never learned to tie my shoes because my mom still comes and ties my shoes like every morning, you know, I need my shoes tied, that doesn't form me and shape me at all. I'm deformed. But because she taught me and I had to learn, this formed me and shaped me. And so, so it is with this rhythm of knowing and listening and following. And we need to know and listen and follow to the voice of the door who calls us, who knows us, who protects us and leads us. So I want to call, close with this. Because there are so many voices outside that we've talked about that are clamoring for your attention. But how about the voices inside? I have voices inside that say I'm not good enough. I don't know the way. I'm really a phony and a fake. I really need to go and earn it. I really, you know, don't know what I'm doing. I'm really dumb. I'm really fill in the blank. There are voices in my own insecurity and anxiety that are clamoring for attention. And I've got to know the voice. 
of the one who calls me beloved. I've got to listen clearly and turn down the noise of the culture that says this is life, this is life, this is life. And it takes time and attentiveness so that I can get up and walk in it. I want to close with a quote, and I want to give you this one for free too. What if before you go and do something, you go into that meeting? For me, when I go up to preach, when you go and sit with that person in a difficult conversation, I heard this gift from a worship leader who like plays for like thousands. Kelly Moss and I went, and he said, I will take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't care how late I'm gonna be, before I go out and try to do God's stuff, so I'm sure I'm not earning it, I just sit there on the side of the stage and I say, Father, how do you feel about me right now? And he tries to put himself in that space where when Jesus was baptized, before he healed anybody, before he said, I am the door, before he did anything, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, appoints him, anoints him, and says, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Before he went out and did one thing, And that's the voice you've got to get in touch with and practice listening to. So here's the quote from Henry Nouwen in The Life of Beloved. Listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness, I hear at the center words that say, I've called you by name. From the very beginning, you are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. He keeps going and says, I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. And I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. And he concludes with this. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy all your hunger and drink that will quench all your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own as I know you as my own. You belong to me. Wherever you are, I will be. Nothing will separate us. Jesus is the door, the gate that lays down his life in the mud to call you, to know you, to lead you, to protect you. Would you know him? Would you listen for that voice? And would you follow him through the dangers of this world? Because even though you face darkness and death and sin and tragedy, know that he has life and the fullest of life for you. Amen. Please remain standing for the benediction. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above 
all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Go in peace.